What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. I'm Ben. As always, we are joined by our super producer, uh, Dylan Fagan. We'll see if a nickname pops up here. I think there could be some fun ones for this one. I think there can. Uh, this is going to be a little bit, uh, a little bit different, uh, in comparison to many of our other topics. We are talking about a specific historical experiment, something maybe the corporate world would call a, a big swing. Oh, yeah, with a twist. With one heck of a twist. I guess the best way to say it, and uh, not to not to bleed over into too many other shows, but get, the best way to say it is that conspiracies can occur in any realm or discipline, and cars are no different. And in our uh, one of our other shows, you've been a guest where you discussed uh, some various cover-ups or skullduggery that occurred in the automotive world. Yeah, sure we have. And, you know, uh, you should go ahead and plug your own show because uh, it's a great show. So go <laughs> ahead. Kind. Yeah. Tell uh, us about it. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is our show that applies critical thinking to conspiracy theories and, you know, fringe reports. And we get into some weird stuff, but you might be surprised, ladies and gentlemen, how often these two seemingly vastly different shows find themselves on the same page. Yeah, we talked about water-powered cars, and what yeah. else did we talk about? I think maybe some pa- – we, we had thrown around these ideas, so if they if they weren't episodes, forgive me, but we talked about uh, pavement that wouldn't wear out. Yep. We yep. talked about, like, like, maybe a carburetor that uh, it could be tuned to get – you know, for cars to get 100 miles per gallon back right. in the 1950s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's a lot of ideas that have been thrown out there. I can't remember how many of these we actually laid down the, the recording for, though. The trolley systems being bought out. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the trolley car scandal. Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, I believe that was GM, right? Yeah, that was GM. And they did get found guilty in court. And uh, and and a bunch of other um, oil companies as right, well. Right, right. But that's a, that's the real thing. That really happened. Yeah, that really happened. Um, what what are some of the other other weird ones that are tied into this? Did we did have we covered? Oh, I don't even know if we should touch on this or not. The uh, the city. Oh, the entire city. Uh we. May have mentioned it, but it's definitely it's definitely in a. You did a piece on it 
for the history the, folks. I, I did, yeah, but it was way back in 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that anything's changed, really, with, with <laughs> right. it. But this is all stuff we're going to touch on today. Yeah, uh, and that show is Stuff You Missed in History Class. You can, if you are an intrepid investigator you can you can find the episode we're talking about this is you know i feel like so far i'm I'm walking this delicate balance i don't know what you want me to reveal yet or not (laughs) uh because there is some stuff to reveal right you know during this podcast so i feel like i'm I'm kind of on the line here so let's let's do this how about we just jump right into it all right let's start this episode and uh and i'll try not to open my big mouth and if i do maybe (laughs) we'll cut it out maybe we won't maybe we'll leave it in and that'll be the reveal oh but uh it'll be, it'll be perfect because this is a pretty strange <laughs> and exciting thing because of all these car related conspiracies or cover up allegations that we have named, ladies and gentlemen, we have yet to touch on one, one theory that we have never addressed in, in all the years we've been doing car stuff. And that is the story that as World War II loomed on the horizon, the legendary automotive tycoon Henry Ford proposed and built a radical new vehicle that he thought would change the state of manufacturing forever. The hemp car. Now, a car entirely built out of hemp, right? Right. So, I mean, I guess we're talking about marijuana, right? I mean, yeah. sort of. If there's a difference. And mm-hmm. I think you probably know the difference between hemp and marijuana, right? Right. So when we first learned of this interesting anomaly here, or this interesting legend, right, The my initial reaction was, well... Henry Ford's an eccentric individual, so if someone were to try to do that, I could absolutely see him doing it. And when we ran into this, you know, we found it on these uh, less than reputable websites, for instance. And one of the things that you might envision is somebody who is, you know, like a stoner who is going, yeah, man, they're covering up. You know, like how useful marijuana is and stuff like that. But there is, uh, there, there are some interesting differences between the kind of hemp that would be involved in this project and the kind of, uh, drug that people would smoke, even though they're the same species. And playing into this, before you begin your description of the two, is that Ford has kind of a history of, of, uh, I guess, experimenting with other materials for, for, um, you know the purposes that he needed. So let's right. say the, uh, the the Spanish moss for the packing of the uh, the seat um, instead of the the fiber fill stuff that yeah, they yeah. normally use, yeah. and that you know kind of backfired on him as well. Um, but that's like one early early example that I can think of. So there's a couple of those, and then even into modern day. So if you, you're looking at this, you know, as history, which we are today, right? Um, modern day, you know that Ford is experimenting with a lot of different materials to make uh, you know new types of plastics and uh, body materials and, and make things stronger and lighter, et cetera. So uh, there's there's a little bit of something in the back of your head that lets you think like, yeah, this this could be a thing. It, he could have tried to build an entire car made out of hemp. Right, right. And, and at first it sounds crazy, but then there's that moment, that moment of reflection where you, where you think, wow. Like, like, he's a crazy bastard, that guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I say that lovingly. Yes, yes, with uh, uh, no shortage of immense respect. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Scott calling someone a bastard is about the highest compliment <laughs> Maybe. that he's ever paid. Are we going to have to beep that? Are we going to have to bleep, get that out of there? I don't no, know. We'll it'll, see. it'll just sound worse if we beep it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, okay. So, 
Usually when people say hemp, what they are talking about are strains of what's called cannabis sativa that have been bred specifically for fiber. And this fiber could be used in clothing and construction to make oils, other substances. The, the main point is it doesn't have a large amount of THC. So it doesn't create that feeling people have of being high after they consume marijuana. Now the other stuff, pot, weed, tea, Uncle Milroy's elbow medicine, whatever you want to call it. That's uh, too long for Dylan's nickname, by the way. <laughs> Dylan, Uncle Milroy, Fagan, yeah. not bad. But, but you know, whatever people call it, that's just a slang term used to describe the strains of essentially the same plant that are specifically bred for these um, resinous glands and lee and these leaves or buds that contain a lot of THC. Okay, so you handed me a note earlier that said that uh, the difference between these two is is really semantic, really. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so not only hemp and pot come from the same genus, but they're the same species, but they're bred for different purposes, really. Right, exactly. So one is bred for uh, more of a, um, well, I guess material science type, uh, type application. You know, yeah, with, yeah. With fibers, so they could be uh, woven into rope or cloth. Uh, we see, you know, at all these music festivals, you find bags and uh, <laughs> sandals and things that, you know, have been woven from hemp. And, and of course, along with that goes the uh, the speech that, you know, this is a fiber, this is a plant that should be, uh, you know, planted on every available sp- space that we have. You know, right. it should be, it, everybody should be growing this because it's so useful for so many things. Right. And there is an agricultural argument, a very old agricultural argument that's been going on. Uh, but there's also, when we talk about the semantic stuff, it also takes us into the legal world, which gets murky very, very quickly because here in the United States, uh, there are multiple state level definitions of what is or isn't a legal use of this species. Yeah, and I, I'll be honest with you. At this point, at this point in our history, yeah. I'm lost as to where it's it's legal, where it's not legal, who can grow it, how much you can grow, how much you can carry, how much all that stuff. I, right. just, I, I completely have lost track. Early on, it was easy enough that, you know, Colorado could do this. You know, and, uh, and their stores, <laughs> right. and you know that that was the that was about it, and then sure. it spread from there. I think I think Colorado was the first, but um, that's that's again that's the more recreational use type stuff that we're talking about, right? Exactly. And so, as the U.S. has been moving away from marijuana prohibition, states are scrambling in a relatively non-unified effort to figure out definitions of what would count as marijuana, the drug, and what would count as hemp. The agricultural product. And that phrase is very important, not just to us, but to Henry Ford. So it's no secret that the federal government for a very long time opposed products with hemp components due to the bad image, the association with uh, marijuana. And you can kind of see where they're coming from, Mm -hmm. because it would be if there's a thing that can also be a drug or you can make rope with it. And maybe a, a car? Who knows? Well, <laughs> we know, and we'll tell you in a little bit. Yeah. But uh, it's it becomes very difficult from a law, legal standpoint, from law enforcement standpoint, to keep your eye on every sparrow, pot grower wise. Yeah, you know to, what I mean. To check every level of THC that, from every crop that is uh, is being grown out there. Right, and then there are a lot of people who, as you said, champion 
the idea of hemp and, and tell these stories like, oh, George Washington farmed it. It's so sure. it, it has a million uses. And, and it's true. It does. Yeah. Well, and what about what about all the great rock music and stand up comedy? Oh, and, yeah. And artists, you know, and, yeah. uh, a lot of art would not be created without uh, without. You know, jazz marijuana. cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, jazz cigarettes. <laughs> that yeah, was sure. my favorite one I learned. Uh, or stoner food. And for that matter, what about the cars? When we get into this, we have to start out by saying there is so much misinformation out there about Henry Ford. Yeah. He's a living legend. Well, he was a larger than life figure who became a legend yeah. after after he passed away. A brilliant man. He was an acolyte of Thomas Edison, who is a, um, well, I guess he, uh, I'll go out and say it. Thomas Edison's a bit of a stone-cold bastard. Oh, that's two times in one episode. <laughs> we'll We're going to have to bump this up to PG-13. <laughs> we might have to. That's, uh, okay, we'll try to back that down. How about that? We'll try to back that keep down. It, keep it PG. And as we discussed before, it's speculated that he even played some part in the creation of what we refer to as The weekend. The weekend. Oh, that's right. We had a discussion yeah. about how he created the weekend, so he could get more productivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, well, anyways, there's a, there's a whole story behind. The it's weekend. pretty interesting. Yeah, it really is. Also, so he could get some customers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, his own people they didn't have time to buy cars. Mm, but also, he you know wasn't a perfect person by any means. Mm, uh, no. he, he had some. He had some very. Uh, he had some very strict, uncompromising standards, and sometimes. Of course, he could be a, a little bit of a loon, mm-hmm. and he, as we've documented, as we've documented. Uh, so, of course, when we hear the story, we think, "Oh, that makes sense. This guy is uber bonkers at times." Yeah, and uh, again, here we're talking about the town. Here's the town that I was mentioning before, and I, I, I know we're not letting out any secrets here yet, sure. but it's part of the story. So, if you want to think about like one of his craziest, advent- I guess not adventures, but ventures, yes, uh, it would be Fordlandia. And the story of Fordlandia is fascinating. It really is. It's it's really really, really interesting. It's, it started around 1928. It was abandoned by 1934. So in that short time, uh, he kind of had to give up on this dream. But the idea was he was going to employ. Uh, I think it was in Brazil, right? It's an it's off a river in Brazil. Yeah, it's in the Amazon. Yeah, and it's just this desolate area that uh, he was hoping to employ 10,000 people in the. I guess it would be the. American rubber industry, really, in a way. Right. I mean, this would be like a, a, a remote plant that would uh, produce this raw material for him to use in his factories mm-hmm. uh, that he would need for auto production. It's like a rubber plantation meets an idealized Norman Rockwell-esque town. Yeah, and it never really got off the ground. And and again, Stuff You Missed in History Class did a full episode on this back in 2010. And then I joined them for a, kind of a, a guest host spot in 2012 where we mm-hmm. talked about Ford himself. And of course, Fordlandia came up at some point right. during, that, during that show. It was a two-part episode. That yeah, was a great one, too. Um, I, think, I think, oh, thanks, Ben. I think that um, in the second part is where we discuss Fordlandia, but um, I could be wrong. Maybe part one. Well, the my favorite part about Fordlandia, because it does sound interesting and maybe a little bit self-important, right, to <laughs> name it Fordlandia. <laughs> sure. But I think you've earned that right if you're building a town in the Amazon. The the thing that makes it weird is that he forced the people who lived there, the employees and their families, to engage in this his idea of what – the ideal American small town should be like. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a dry town, no drinking. Yeah. Uh, there was a baseball team 
people had certain codes of dress they were expected to adhere to. It was like, you know that movie, The Stepford Wives? Yeah. He was trying to create like a Stepford existence. You know, this, this all plays back into where he was born. I think he was born out in the country, way out in the country somewhere. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he later had great guilt over his own invention. Uh, he felt that he had somehow destroyed something that he held uh, so close to his heart right? by allowing um, – well, I don't know I, I, the best way to say this. I'll have to go back and listen to the way that we framed this before. Uh-huh. But he came from this little um, uh, bucolic area. Yeah, you know, beautiful, uh, just, Greenfield Township. Uh, Greenfield Township, okay. And then moved to the city to do his work in Dearborn, you know, et cetera. And then along the way, a lot of different – there were a lot of steps along the way, but ended up in the city. And then realized that there's this pristine, beautiful countryside out there that he was then allowing people from the city to travel to in their in their cars that were spewing, um, you know, pollutants. Really, right. And yes. he had this 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 guilt that he had created a machine that was going to somehow um, sully that uh, that that area. It was going to uh, going to make it you know something not as pure as it was prior to you know back when he was a kid. I guess maybe. right. The times um, that were changing. Yeah. So he had this strange like you know I did this, but I'm also guilty of this. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it, it kind of makes sense that he was trying to recreate that and keep it pristine, keep it you know mm-hmm. keep it clean there, I guess. And I think they even had rules like no dancing and yeah, it was very that's pu- right. It's very Puritan, I think. You yeah. know, that's the that's kind of the uh, the general focus of this whole town. And that sounds kind of like a, a set of rules that okay, okay, I'm just my cynicism is coming out here, Scott. But often when people make those sorts of rules. It's because it's very easy to make rules that you don't have to obey. <laughs> I'm not saying that Henry Ford was out, you know, drinking all day and dancing all night, but I'm saying he didn't live in Fordlandia. No, he didn't. But I, I honestly believe that this character was somebody who probably didn't drink, probably didn't no, no. really like wasn't a, uh, you know, go late, you know, get get to bed late in the evening and party kind of guy. No, I don't think so. Um, I think he was a, you know early to bed, early to rise guy who was a hard worker, Pretty industrious. Focused. He had some, you know, again, some bonkers views of the world. Yeah. Um, and, and again, all this, all of this, I, everything, and, and much, much more, by the way, that we, we're not discussing here today, all of this plays into the idea that, yeah, it's possible that this character could have decided he was going to build a hemp car, a car made entirely out of hemp. Right. And that's the question. Did he really make a car entirely out of hemp? We'll tell you the answer after a word from our sponsor. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. 
because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, Ben, you left us with, with a real cliffhanger here. So oh. what So what really happened? All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you can scoot back from the edge and continue to use the rest of your seat. <laughs> the answer is this. No. No, he did not make a car entirely out of hemp. That's a bummer, right? But yeah, well, sort of. That's the that's Yeah, that's the truth. Well, first, just to be clear, you can't make an entire car out of hemp you know you have rubber for tires you have an engine that needs to be built with something that is not hemp well sure yeah yeah there's there's, of course metal and rubber components and and of course there's all the fluids and stuff that would have to be somehow contained and and you can't do that in something made out of hemp right right and i I think most people know that i just want to establish that yeah well of course yeah that's uh, that's logical but uh, so what we're talking about really is the the body shell that's made out of uh, i said that weird the body shell that was made (laughs) out of uh that's the emphasis on the wrong syllable thing right right. uh so so (laughs) he made he made uh, he made the body shell uh, out of hemp was the the uh, the claim. That's but the claim. The, the claim. But what really happened was he made it out of an entirely different material altogether. And what was that? Soybeans. So there is a grain of truth uh, in this story. He did make what people called a soybean car, and it may have actually contained some amount of hemp. This is not just a story made from thin air. So it's a mixture. Right, because most uh, likely because yeah. soybeans they have. A, I mean, if you look at the chemical makeup of a soybean, I, I had it some here, somewhere here. But there's a there's a breakdown of how much protein is there, how much soluble soluble fiber, right? How much yeah. unsoluble fiber, um, and just how much uh, how much moisture, all that. There's oils involved. Um, so soybeans themselves can't make what we're talking about here. This is a this is a plastic product that they made, right? And plastics, if you think back to when this was happening, which would have been the late 1930s, early mm-hmm. 1940s. Yeah. Uh, that was a relatively new thing. Yeah, it was it was a new thing. People were still figuring it out. Um, we hadn't yet reached that phase where... Uh, do you remember the movie The Graduate? Yes. Isn't there a conversation in The Graduate somewhere where this guy's like, plastics, my yeah. boy? Oh, yeah. Uh, they were still new, so... We weren't even at that stage where, you know, your your relatives or some 
family friend will tip you off, you know, but we're at the stage where the early adopters are beginning to understand just how far plastic can go as a technology. And Henry Ford was uh, very much a uh, a progress-oriented person, the great experimenter. He had no problem dismissing the status quos of his day, especially if he felt they were limiting progress. So let's go to where Scott Scott started here, the late 1930s. He saw several problems looming on the horizon. One, steel had, at the time, some, some real issues, some limit, uh, limitations as a building material for automobiles. Converting ore to steel, it's a complex operation. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, he has to work with other companies. Yeah. Which is not always his favorite thing. No, that's why he builds his own companies to supply his company or right. supply his factories. Right. And he be so he began thinking, what else what else could I do? What are alternative materials? Yeah, could so, you build his car with something else? So here's what happened in uh, late nineteen thirties, I guess. Henry visited or he made a he made a visit to his own um village that he created, you know, to to train you know, um, prospective engineers and designers and all that. He had this place. It was like a, a tech school almost, really. And it was the Deerfield Village Trade School. And this is where he learned about a crop that they were experimenting with at the time, which was, of, of course, something that was kind of obscure and irrelevant in the West at the time, which was, it was soybeans. Right. People didn't know very much about soybeans. The average American citizen wouldn't. Henry Ford, however, became obsessed Man, he loved soybeans. He was probably one of the first Americans to drink soy milk on a regular basis, which we're just going to add to more of our strange facts about Henry Ford. <laughs> yeah. We should really – maybe we should just make a book on oh, this. Well, maybe. Uh, he had a lunch at the 1934 World's Fair where he served an all-soy menu. We're talking soy crackers, soy cheese, soy milk, straight-up soy beans, and so on. Yep, and uh, not just that, but I've got one little surprise for you here. What's that? This is a little bit later in the uh, in the story, but I'm going to show you a picture of him. Uh, it's a famous picture. He's uh, he's celebrating he is celebrating his uh, his birthday in 1941, his 78th birthday. So this is jumping ahead a little bit, yeah, but yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll come back in time. Yeah, he's wearing this uh, this kind of light colored suit, and he's sitting on a bale of hay mm-hmm. out in a field. Yeah, that's a soybean suit. A soybean suit. It's a suit made out of soybeans. So this guy is eating soybeans. He's drinking soybean milk. He's wearing a suit made out of soybeans. He's all in. He's all in on this, right? <laughs> and this is only a few years after he learned about it, but he is a soybean fan. He probably had, you know, banners in his room that said soybeans, hurrah, <laughs> or whatever, you know. So yeah. excited about it, and uh, and he's learning about this stuff from these these young engineers and, and designers and technicians that are working on these in these labs in this place that he's created for them to eventually come to work for him. And that's so strange. That suit is Blowing me away. Yeah, it's kind of I, I a soybean suit. It's an iconic photo. I mean, you can look it up, and if you just look up Ford soybean suit, mm-hmm. nineteen forty-one, you'll find it. It's a it's a funny photo, and you uh, see him in that suit a lot. I mean, I I wonder if he had many. Was he wearing all soy clothes? You know, I would I would guess that this is probably one of a kind. I would I would think. Yeah, how would you? I, I'm interested to learn about the process there. <laughs> well, this even proves this proves the point even further because he believed in the versatility of soybeans and he didn't think it needed to be limited solely to foods. Uh, in hopes of building a cheaper, more durable, and lighter car, 
he he turned to the soybean and he originally enlisted the help of a stylist named E.T. Gregory. Yeah. Remember that name, folks. It comes up later. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so so this project, okay, the project goes on, right? And he's kind of helping him develop this thing, but uh, he's reportedly dissatisfied with the work that he produced on this team. So he said he's going to hand this off to another guy. His name is uh, Lowell E. Overly. And his background, he had a background prior to working in Ford Soybean Library, library, laboratory, (laughs) with a, with a tool and die design, as a tool and die designer. So he's a tool and die guy, but he's brought in to work on this soybean project. So that's kind of an unusual mix for him. Yeah. Probably haven't found the right guy yet. There's another guy that they need to kind of tap into his, uh, his ideas, his resources for, for this project. Right. And one thing that Overly did very well, which is a skill that not a lot, not, that more people should have mm-hmm. that we can all find useful is overly said, well, you know what? I'm not an expert. I'm not going to be pretend to be the expert at this part. So let me find someone who knows the business of chemistry. And he found a chemist named Robert A. Boyer. And Boyer is the, the real, I guess, the, the real heroic figure in our story. Yeah, and I've got a little bit of a tie-in to uh, to this guy. Some a little bit of personal knowledge. That, oh, that's uh, right. Just a little bit. We talked about this off air. Not, yeah, not a lot. But tell you what, let's take a word from our sponsor right now, and we'll come back with it. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations 
that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Scott, got to keep stop pushing people to the edge of their seats for oh. these ad breaks. <laughs> well, I, this is a uh, uh, distant at best, uh, you know, uh, degrees of Henry Ford for me. Uh, it's, it's as close as I can get, really, I suppose. <laughs> for a short while, in, uh, in you know, several I'd say several years, really, in uh, the late 1980s and early 1990s, my mom dated a, a guy. She's divorced. She dated a guy who was uh, Lee Iacocca's pilot. Uh, for Chrysler at the time when he was, he was like a, you know, the Gulfstream jet pilot or whatever. The guy's name was Thomas Boyer. And Thomas Boyer is the son of Robert A. Boyer, this chemist that worked with Henry Ford. And so I heard of this way back in the 1980s when mm-hmm. uh, he was talking about his dad because his dad was still a- around at the time. Uh, his father passed away in 1989. This Robert Boyer did the chemist. Um, so he was still around when I was talking with him. Um, and we had gone to the Henry Ford, which is the museum there in town, the Henry Ford. And there were, I think it was a film strip that had him, this guy Thomas Boyer, yeah. on Henry Ford's lap on Christmas Day. Like a film strip. <laughs> bizarre. He's like, that's me. That's that, He had no idea it was going to be there. That's crazy. But his family was invited because Henry Ford had kind of taken this guy under his wing, this this Robert this Robert Boyer. And, of course, uh-huh. you know, being his family, of course, yeah. he was invited to some of the Ford family functions and holidays and things like that at the at the Ford mansion. That's so, got to be cool. And this guy was pretty fascinating. He had things like, you know, food patents and, on preservatives, and he had the patent on bacos, which are those bacon bits that you shake on, <laughs> uh, on your salad. Right. Uh, you know, they're not real bacon. Uh, just an interesting character all around, but um, he was he was taken in by Ford. Uh, because he had what Ford called a keen, active mind when he uh, when he first met him as a as a youngster yeah. in this uh, in this Deerfield Village place, um, but he he brought him in and let him work closely with him on the soybean project because he felt he was the one that could do it, and and he did. He ended up making um, what we know as like the, the plastic panels for automobiles. Yeah, the soybean car was unveiled by Henry Ford on August thirteenth. 1941 at a community festival called Dearborn Days. Uh, Ford was very active in this local community stuff. And again, the, uh, can I interrupt? Yeah, please. There's there's more iconic photos that you need to see here because this is one of Henry Ford that we've talked about in the past. Yeah. Him swinging an axe head at the trunk of a car, uh-huh. which doesn't leave a dent. That was the soybean car. In that 19, was a panel. In yeah. 1941. That's mm-hmm. unbelievable. So, you know, in the 80s when we were kind of like, you know, remarking how incredible it was that these Saturn cars could have a a, uh, a shopping cart bump into the door and <laughs> remember their their uh, their television commercials yeah uh, they were a lot of there were a lot of things like that happening to Saturn car doors in these commercials where they would you know flex in and then flex out no no damage done right yeah and it was supposedly revolutionary but here's Ford doing it back in 1941 so Henry was on top of things and uh, and probably just at the right time too but they didn't know it right because not everyone is that attuned to the future. You know, this guy really does have his finger on the pulse. Let's talk a little bit about the actual car. So it has a frame. It's made of tubular steel. It has 14 of these plastic panels attached to it. The car weighs 2,000 pounds, which makes it 1,000 pounds lighter than a steel car. 
the plastic window. It's the windows are plastic. Uh, it has a 60 horsepower Ford flathead V8. And the thing about those plastic panels, this is, this is interesting, Scott. We know it was called a soybean car. They would have called it a hemp car if hemp was the biggest ingredient, but we do not know the exact ingredients of these plastic panels because today no record of the formula exists. Yeah, and you know what else they can't they can't go back and uh, somehow determine what was in those panels, you know, via chemistry because someone destroyed the plastic car, right? And so yes. it's an interesting twist on this whole thing, right? Yep. So after they went they were on display, you know, they were uh, revealed at what was it, the Dearborn Days or whatever you yeah. said there, and then yeah. also the Michigan State Fair it made another appearance there. Uh, the only two appearances. Oh, so that's the only two. Yeah. So after that Michigan State Fair appearance, the car disappeared and was destroyed. It was, uh, and this is not like uh, you know something we're making. It was just it was destroyed, and we know it was destroyed. Right. But the person that destroyed it, that's that's maybe another little twist on this whole thing. So according to Overly, the toolmaker who was taking over and contacted Boyer, the car, the person who ordered the soybeans car, car's destruction was E.T. Gregory, the stylist who originally had the project. So the guy that the project was taken away from him, I guess if you want to say twice, it was taken away twice. Uh, it was taken away the first time because he wasn't quite cutting it. Yeah. It went to Overly, mm-hmm. and then from Overly it went on to Boyer, mm-hmm. and then Gregory probably still had a little bit of sour grapes about the whole thing and uh, decided to just destroy it. I mean, why why would you not hang on to something like that? Or why would you not at least uh, maintain the, the formula? Because this is a proven winner. This is something that uh, that they could have kind of held their back pocket. Yeah. Um, even if not right now, but, you know, let's bring yeah. this out later. And, and I tell you, whenever they displayed this thing, whenever they swung that axe head at that car mm-hmm. and it didn't dent and they jumped on the panel and it didn't dent, it was it was remarkable, this product. People were astounded. You know, the, yeah. the crowd went crazy. And even if it was just a novelty, it would be – even if, you know, the specifics of the material science made it impractical to produce or something, then – it would still be a great thing to put in a museum. Yeah. I feel like Indiana Jones. It belongs in a museum. Yeah, like in a big crate with this <laughs> huge uh, like storage area, you know, top wheeled into. Yeah, <laughs> but, but you know, here's the thing: like, if they could only have a piece of that remaining, they could they could analyze what's in there and figure out how much of that was soybean, how much was hemp, how right. much was other material, you know, whatever types of fiber they used or or whatever. I mean, it, it's an interesting product, really. And yeah. I wish they had. I wish they had taken the time to keep a sample of it, or at least. You know, a, a better search for the formula that was created by Robert Boyer. There, yeah, you know, there might be something there in his notes uh, from his estate, or there might be something. Mm. Uh, there, there might be something out there. You never know. Maybe be, passed on to his son Thomas. Maybe. Hmm. Maybe you should. Maybe I should reestablish that contact. <laughs> you should write back to him. <laughs> That'd be a weird letter, my friend. That would be like, uh, hey, remember me from thirty years ago? <laughs> so, okay, here's one thing we can do, though. We can. Uh, explore the speculation people have about the formula. So you'll see some articles that claim the formula for these miracle plastic panels uh, contained many ingredients, including soybeans, wheat, flax, and wait for it, I'm kidding, hemp. Uh, <laughs> so the man who was instrumental in creating the car, Lowell Overly, claims that this was soybean fiber in a phenolic resin with formaldehyde used in the impregnation. However, it's possible that only Boyer had the real scoop on the ingredients. Now, I have a question for you. Is it possible that the the cloth backing 
for use for this because it had to be it was uh, it was impregnated um, into a cloth. Is that right? That could have been that could have been all hemp. You know, that's an interesting point, Scott. It yeah. might not have had to bend in the chemical makeup of the actual plastic itself. It could have been that the fabric that that it was uh, that was built on. I suppose. Yeah, uh, that could have been the hemp, uh, you know, element to this whole thing. I, I just now thought of that. That I didn't think of that. Instead of being part of the mixture, yeah, it's the the base material. That's a. You know what? That's a very good idea. Hmm. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll never know. Yes, unfortunately we will we will never know, but the good news there, the silver lining on the cloud uh for those uh those of us out in the audience or out in the world who really want there to be some kind of truth to the hemp car story, you can hold on to that part. It might be a uh hemp assisted car. <laughs> <laughs> hemp assisted. Okay, I like it. Uh, that sounds like a heck of a way to get pulled over. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the big question then, or one of our final questions then, is if this stuff was cool, if, as we said, it really did work in, in that it did the stuff Henry Ford wanted it to do, mm-hmm. then what happened? Why are Why are you not driving and listening to this podcast in a soybean car? Right now, well, we have better alternatives now for plastic, right? I mean, plastic technology moved on from that point. This is the early, early days, I believe. I think, I think this is the right answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it seems like, uh, you know, this is the first thing where we found like, okay, it has the the right chemical. You know, uh, composure to to make. Boy, I, I you know I'm no chemist by any means. I, obviously, we can just you know, neither determine. of us are chemists. No, no, we've determined that throughout this whole podcast. I'm no chemist, <laughs> but uh, but it seems like this was sure. This is a great starting point. But, of course, everything is going to advance, and we're talking about decades and decades and decades of advancement before we saw some real reliable plastic material that could be used in exterior and the exterior of automobiles that would have the the properties that we needed, the resilient mm-hmm. um, uh, or even um, – Impregnable materials is that the right word? I think that, that you can impregnate with with color, yeah. So that uh, you know they m- might not have to receive as many layers of paint or different types of paint right. to them, or um, you know you could, you could adhere um, different types of trim and molding to them and then not have that break at the same time. You know that yeah. uh, they kind of match the flexibility of that material. There's, There's another point too. Oh, what's that? I don't know if we mentioned this. Uh, Temperature variation. Oh yeah, that's a huge one. Yeah, how many old Pontiacs did we see with those? You know, those huge side trim uh, yeah, pieces yeah. underneath. I think it was the old Bonnevilles, maybe. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, that would have just wavy material on the side from about the middle point of the driver door and passenger door uh-huh. down all the way to the ground. Right. And it was just like it. It, it just couldn't. Um, it couldn't withstand the heat of, let's say, being in the reflection of a building, or it couldn't stand the, the uh, you know, the the cold and then the heat. So let's say that it would be extremely cold in the north and, uh, you know, twenty below or whatever, and then right. in the summertime it's one hundred and ten. Right. Um, it's and tough the, to create a plastic that can stand up to that. Yeah, and it's even tougher when we consider that it's not just a matter of whether the material remains stable, temperature-wise. Many plastics that would be otherwise fine, or several plastics that would be otherwise fine, can't be included in these sorts of endeavors or projects because when the heat rises, they emit dangerous chemicals. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get you. That so new not, car smell that's slowly killing you, so it's those not, are the safe ones. So it's not so much just holding shape. It's also that it's giving off stuff that uh, you don't necessarily want around you, you know, as your body, yeah. I guess. It would be dangerous. A high degree of VOCs. And those are uh, those are responsible 
in some way for the new car smell, which a lot of people love. And I'm, I'm exaggerating when I say it's slowly killing you. You would have to lock yourself in a car and huff a lot of that for yeah, it to harm you. Probably right in the heat of summer, too. Yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, so that it's you know, off-gassing as much as possible. <laughs> right. It, it would be – you don't want to do that. Don't no, do that. it would be a really elaborate and weird experiment, <laughs> and you would eventually have to explain yourself to someone. There is another factor. What's that? In the in the soybean car. Uh, we tangentially mentioned it in the beginning here. The anticipation of an upcoming loss of steel resources. Oh, yeah. Which Henry Ford, you know, had a spider sense about did occur, but it was even worse than he imagined because with the attack on Pearl Harbor in December of 1941, same just a few months after the unveiling of the soybean car, the U.S. was drawn into World War II. Domestic auto production, uh, re, what, well, I guess what they say nowadays is pivoted? Well, it, it halted, really. Yeah, it uh, halted. Well, pivoted, sure. I mean, because they, they produced other things. They didn't just stop and that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they produced other things, tanks and airplanes and, you know, any kind of artillery that they right. needed. It's just, it, it was a different direction for the, for the country at that time. And, of course, all the metal was being, uh, you know, resourced for that effort. So, right. um, you know, this, that's the other, this would have been, perfect timing for them to use uh, this type of material for their bodies after World War II. I don't know why it didn't catch on immediately after World War II. Well, when the dust settled, uh, it seemed that people had just plum forgot about it. Isn't that weird? I mean, just a few years later. It's weird, but, well, those were an intense few years. Well, <laughs> I, I guess so. You know, to think back to, you know, two Two small, I will just say small appearances. I mean, there were probably very few people in the crowds at these things. I mean, maybe a few hundred at each, mm-hmm. maybe at the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I guess it would be something that history could easily overlook and uh, and then just totally forget about it. And, again, it's just lost to the history books because, you know, mm-hmm. this car was destroyed. Really, only the people that were there really, you know, told the tale afterwards. Right. And, uh, and for whatever reason, there wasn't a push to bring this back post-war. I, don't, I just can't get it because the timing would have been just right. And the, this leaves us with a couple of questions. You know, was uh, was this plastic really as good as so many of the history books say or is it being exaggerated? Uh, Could have been ex- extremely expensive at the time to produce That's a really well. good point, too. That's, a, that's the other thing. It could have been like the carbon fiber of the day. Right. You know, that, uh, sure we can do it, but it, it, each panel cost us 10 times or 20 times mm. what it costs to make a steel panel. It might, it could be something like that. Uh, also, why did the guy who originally lost the project become the one to destroy it? It sounds so easy to ascribe, you know, some sort of sense of vindictiveness to it. Yeah. But we don't know. Maybe somebody told him he had to do it, and if it was his job, he had to do it. Could be, but it's odd that the one guy that was uh, that it was in his hands before, and he couldn't yeah. do it, he's the one who's assigned to destroy the thing. It doesn't, you know what, it doesn't look good. That's no, what I'll say. It, no, it doesn't. It doesn't have, uh, it does, it doesn't have good optics, as they say. Right. Good. <laughs> That's the one. And <laughs> if there, if there was some sort of, Cover up or conspiracy, then why and who did it and why would it originate? It seems relatively unnecessary. Would it be some shadowy cabal of steel manufacturers? Yeah, I guess, you know, to me, Ben, I, I'm not. I don't know if I buy into the whole conspiracy thing. I just, I just feel like this is just bad timing. Yeah, I, mean, just, I don't, it, I don't think there's it, conspiracy. In one way, it was perfect timing, and the other way, it was bad timing because they they forgot all about it. If if it had happened, let's say that all this happened where they revealed the car. Yeah. 
right after World War II. And, of course, there's this massive shortage of metal because it had all been used for the war effort. And there's a post-World War II boom. The age of the auto uh, reaches a new era. Yeah, it's, it's possible that this could have really taken off at that point. But uh, I guess we'll just never know again. And, and then when they came back with something you know acceptable in yeah. the 1980s, uh, late, or I guess maybe 1990s. I'm, I don't know when Saturn emerged. I can't remember the exact date because mm-hmm. I don't have the note in front of me. But um, I think it was – I'm going to say early 90s. Yeah, but, it was um, early 90s to me. But right then, th- everybody's like, well, this is a revolutionary idea. But it really it really wasn't. Did you know I uh, I had two Saturns when I was a kid? You did? Yeah. Oh, we had a few people here who had Saturns. What type did you have? Uh, let's see. I had – oh, it's a long time ago. Was it? it was the um, – Coupe. Oh, the SC2, yeah. is that it? Or SC2? I think it's SC2. SC. It was yeah. the SC2, that's yeah. the one. And uh, I got in an accident, wrapped that thing around a tree, and they were really safe. Uh, but what they didn't tell you is that, sure, you'll be fine, mm-hmm. but that car will be gone. Well, did its job, I guess, right? Yeah, it was a life-saving Kleenex well. versus a tree. <laughs> and on the same day, I went back. It was close to where I was living at the time. And again, I was a young driver. Yeah. Uh, and I was just petty enough to when I realized I was okay and I got a tow truck out there, I'm mortified, you know, my parents are going to be beyond angry. Oh, sure. Know? Yeah, it's total, and, right? Right. It was totaled. So I walked back to uh, our house. I got an axe. I walked back. This is about a mile and a half away each way, and then cut the tree down. Is that right? And cursed it the whole time. You cut the tree down, yeah. and you wrap your car around. Yeah. That's a good story. Is it? It makes me look pretty petty <laughs> and like a bad driver. But I did, I take, well, I I did learn my lesson. This isn't in somebody's front yard then, obviously. This is no, like on no. the side of the road somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so the the thing wow. is that, that that technology, though, it does work, and we have a few other Hemp-related things that might surprise people because we looked into this. You know, no, it's it's probably not a not a hemp car, but there might have been hemp components. But the one of the last big twists to the story is that Henry Ford had a deeper philosophical impetus in his creation of these different organic material approaches like the Spanish moss and the seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's a reason for this, and that is something that you, Scott, alluded to a little bit earlier in the show. Henry Ford was a farm boy. Yeah. And he was consistently trying to blend, to meld agriculture and industry. It was a it was a long-term goal of his, and a lot of people forget that in 1908, he already had something like a hemp car because the first Model Ts could be run off gasoline or you could get an option to run them off a hemp-based fuel. <laughs> a hemp-based fuel. A hemp-based fuel. Is that right? Apparently so. Now, I know that there are engines that will run on just about anything that will burn, really. Yeah. So that must be what this is. But he, for some reason, chose a hemp-based fuel for one of those options. Right? And then uh, the eventually they took that. They, they just stopped making that because of the way gas was working out economically. Yeah. You know what I mean? People are much more likely to use gas or be around a gas station. Sure. Well, at that time, you probably had to buy gas at, uh, you know, 
by the gallon in a container. I don't think they right. have gas pumps at every corner like they no, do. Now. No, no, no. But like I think he saw the he felt the wind shifting on that. Yeah, one. you go into the drugstore and buy five gallons of gas in five one gallon containers, maybe or something yeah, like right? that, and uh, you know probably glass containers. Do you have Do you have the equivalent <laughs> of like a milkman? Who comes by your house? Oh, maybe in the wee hours. Fuel, just, well, there you go. Fuel yeah. delivery, like we talked about. Yeah, we do. There Mo- are fuel delivery services. Mobile fuel delivery. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a strange idea. This this hemp based fuel back in 1908 that he's using for his Model T. It's weird. And the story doesn't end there uh, because people around the globe are researching ways to uh, to use hemp as possibly a a fuel source in some t- places, um, a construction material, you yeah. know, not just for autos. Yeah. Well, I mean, interior fabric, I guess, for cars would be right. an easy one. That's an easy one to pick out. And sure. Say it's durable. You know, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's inexpensive to create. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a lot of pros, I guess, to the – as you'll hear if you go to, again, any music festival and buy a, uh, <laughs> a hemp product, a T-shirt, a purse, a poncho, or whatever you're going to buy. Right. Um, oh, so, man. yeah, you'll get, the, you'll get the lecture that goes along with it. You know? I never go to concerts. Or at least the, at least the handout card that you know says – Yeah. I'm, not, I'm just not a concert guy, man. You're a smart consumer, and here's why. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so – that concludes our story for now. Uh, we do know that there are people who, as we said, are researching the future of hemp. And our story of the misidentified soybean car ends there. Yeah. So if anybody tells you in the future that, uh, that Henry Ford built a hemp car, uh, you can tell them you know the truth. Soybeans. Soybeans. Yep. All soybeans. Plastics <laughs> and soybeans. Yeah. And uh, I think... Still a very impressive endeavor. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this closer look at one of Henry Ford's many, many strange experiments. And this is actually a little bit less strange than many others. Uh, if you would like to learn more about Henry Ford, then we invite you to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class podcast uh, starring my co-host Scott. Uh, you were the you were the expert on Henry Ford here. You know, at this point, maybe I am. I suppose uh, we've talked about him so many times yeah. on different podcasts and our podcast. Mm-hmm. There's there's a wealth of information out there about him that we haven't even touched on yet. So mm-hmm. um, I feel like there's so many stories to tell. And you can also check out all of our other Henry Ford related podcasts on our website, CarStuffShow.com, where you can find every audio podcast we have ever done. Find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are CarStuffHSW. And if uh, if none of that really is is getting you cooking with gas, I'm trying to make a hemp car reference. Mm, boy, I don't know. None I, burning your rope. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fun. we'll go with that. If none of that burn, is burning your rope, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you are in luck. You can write to us directly with suggestions for upcoming topics, any inside scoop you have on the legend of the hemp car, or, you know, just a tip you think your fellow listeners should know. We are Car Stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. 
What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.